Hi, I'm Sergio. And I'm Alex. And this is the IPHO Podcast. Each episode, we'll be hosting professionals with diverse backgrounds from across the industry. We have two goals, to bring you timely, relevant insights from across the healthcare landscape and information that can help support your professional growth. What non-traditional career opportunities exist for pharmacists, and how can I stand out from other candidates? How is COVID impacting the way we develop medications and support patients? What social inequalities exist within the biopharmaceutical industry, and what are companies doing about it? So whether you're a pharmacy student interested in learning more about fellowships or in pursuing a direct career in industry, a current or former fellow trying to figure out your next step, or just interested in a distraction from your workout, we've got you covered. And remember, the views and opinions we and our guests express on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, we are here with Mike DeLuca, the Senior Vice President of Medical Affairs at Eversana up in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for coming aboard today, Mike. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm going to do something here to make a point. And then we're going to take a step back and we're going to talk about a lot of this. So I'm going to read Mike's career journey here because it's a journey. Uh, and, and I'm going to start at the beginning and work our way forward here. So Mike started as a staff pharmacist and pharmacy manager at Walmart, moved over to staff pharmacist at the prescription counter, uh, and then shifted into uh, the pharmaceutical industry, starting at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals as a regulatory safety astute, uh, associate, moved over to BI, uh, Boehringer Ingelheim, as a manager of drug surveillance, then over to physician's desk reference, drug information specialist, climbed the ladder, manager of professional services, moved over to strategic marketing manager, and then the director of clinical services. From there, he was a senior medical information manager at Synovian Pharmaceuticals, an associate director of medical information, and then a director of medical information. Following that experience, he moved to Alexian Pharmaceuticals, where he was a director of global medical information and a senior director of global medical information and medical review. From there, Esperian, uh, as a head of medical information, head of and then the head of medical information, and also took on medical communications, and th that moves to where he is now as the senior vice president of medical affairs, and we're going to dissect that journey today. So, Mike, that was quite a uh, an experience over the last twenty years for you, uh, and let's talk about that start. You started in retail. What was it that made you uh, start to move outside of retail? Because you were there for one, two, three years. Yeah. So w what was that move like? What made you decide to take that move? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I went to pharmacy school to, to be a retail pharmacist to start, you know, um, it's, it's what I desire was to do, um, you know, working as an intern in pharmacies for several years during pharmacy school. So, you know, when I graduated, I really had a desire to, you know, practice as a pharmacist. Um, I didn't really consider residency or fellowships when I got done, even though, you know, at the time residencies were highly encouraged, you know, there wasn't quite as many fellowships or even quite the awareness that there is today um, with it. There was no IPHO and these organizations that really promoted um, the fellowship programs either. So um, I did get some exposure to industry. Um, I went to University of Michigan Pharmacy School and at the time Park Davis was located there, was eventually acquired by Pfizer. Um, we had some staff who, you know, did some consulting with pharmaceutical companies. Um, I even did some rotations and stuff. 
um, that got me some exposure to the industry. So I knew long term, um, I'd probably be, you know, stepping away from retail at some point. But, um, you know, my initial goal was to practice as a pharmacist. So um, I did that. I went I went back home. I moved back home to Western Massachusetts, um, lived at home for a bit, worked in retail, chipped away at the college loans a little bit. And then, um, you know, uh, you know, it was like within six months, I went from a staff pharmacist to pharmacy manager. And then, you know, that was kind of the end of the career path. You're really, you know, not too much other place to go, you know, district manager. Then after that, there's, there's really no other growth or development. So that was really my driving factor for thinking about making a career change, even at that time. So, you know, I started looking at industry jobs, um, applied to a few, got a few interviews, um, had one that was very promising, but then, um, there was a major acquisition that happened with the pharmaceutical company. So all positions got froze. So um, at that point, my opportunities kind of dried up a little bit. And I said, you know, what's kind of the next step? And I said, well, maybe I'll go back to school, get my MBA and, you know, leverage that as an angle to, you know, get my foot back into the, the door into industry. Did you have a perception about how difficult it would be to make the transition from retail to industry at the time? Like looking back, did you yeah, yeah, I knew it was not going to be easy. Um, you know, um, you know, everyone always is looking for folks with experience, right? I mean, I'm, if you look at pharma, pharma still kind of still kind of very old school with wanting to get someone with X number of years of experience in the role, and not even X number of experience. Sometimes, you know, within pharma, it's just you know within that specific role too, right, or that specific function. So. I knew it wasn't going to be easy. Um, I knew, you know, companies um, were kind of moving away from having entry level positions and developing folks too, right? A lot of the entry level jobs ended up going out to service providers and, and, and vendors and stuff like that. So I knew it wasn't going to be easy. So um, when I did initially get a few opportunities, um, you know, I really tried to jump on them quickly. But obviously, you know, sometimes you have to take a different path, um, take a different angle. And, and that's what kind of drove me to, you know, go get my MBA. And then um, I was able to do that at Seton Hall. Um, they actually had a program focused on um, pharmaceutical management and operations too. So very- Was that part-time? Um, I, I went full-time at nights. Um, and then I worked uh, basically full-time at retail at an independent pharmacy. So I worked retail during the days, um, um, did um, school at night. And then um, when I was doing that, I was, wasn't licensed in New Jersey yet um, when I first got down there. So I was actually driving back to Massachusetts on the weekends to, to work retail on the weekends. Um, so it was a packed schedule, you know, Monday to Thursday in class. It's a serious then, work uh, ethic. Yeah. And then, uh, and then once I was licensed, um, you know, then I was full-time working in, in, in Jersey for, for a while. Um, and I did that for um, the 16 months that it took me to get my, my MBA. That's a, that's a quick path to the MBA too, 16 months. Yes. So you, yeah. you were not only working full-time, you went through the summer, didn't you? I did. I took summer courses as well. Yeah. Luckily I had an assistantship too. So the school um, paid for most of it, most of it. I just had to, you know, pay for the courses in the summer um, as well. So, um, you know, as part of the assistantship, you know, I had to jump in, you know, help out with some of the, the classes with some of the, uh, testing and stuff like that and, and helping grade some papers and stuff like that too. So it, so it definitely was a full workload for the, for those 16 months. Yeah. I'm, I like to, I've said this before at work and I say, I'm a, I'm a dad now, so I get to make dad jokes. You're certainly not allergic to work. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that's, that's impressive. The work ethic that you, that you displayed there. And 
how do you think that MBA helped position you? Or do you think it's something you could have done without the MBA, made that move without the MBA? Yeah, possible. Um, you know, I think it gave me a different perspective. You know, I always kind of wanted to have a better just business perspective and, you know, why even organizations and companies make the business decisions that they do. So I think getting a good solid, you know, background in business, you know, accounting, finance, marketing, you know, all those sort of things was helpful. Um, you know, I think it, you know, gave me a little bit of an edge, but definitely I think if I just kind of kept at it, um, um, I probably would have found an opportunity, but it may have not been as clear of a path to me. You know, luckily doing that program to, there in in New Jersey as well, obviously without most of the pharma companies and being such a concentration, I was able to meet some people too and like, hey, do you know, like, there's these agencies down here that they hire, you know, contractors. They're looking always for, you know, people with medical backgrounds. The fact that you'll have uh, both your PharmD and your MBA and you practiced a bit, you know, you'll, you should be able to find something. So, you know, that's what I ended up doing. You know, as I was finishing up my MBA, I started looking again, started applying to full-time jobs, you know, still really wasn't getting the, the hits that I was maybe hoping for. Once again, there was no actual pharmaceutical industry experience on my resume. So, um, but yeah, I started, um, you know, getting some lease, some recruiters and contract companies at, you know, more, uh, staffing sort of groups. And that's how I ended up, um, in drug safety. Um, it was a contract position. Um, it was with Pfizer. Um, so I, I took that opportunity when it came along to, to kind of get my foot in the door, um, into what industry. were your, what were your criteria that you, that you were looking for? Like what's a, obviously you took that drug safety you know, associate yeah. job, but like entry level med info, like there's med info, drug safe. I was really open to pretty much anything at the time. Um, you know, I didn't know, you know, you don't know what you don't know sort of thing. So I didn't have a clear path. You know, I didn't have a lot of direction. You know, I was, you know, you try to read up on what these roles actually are. You know, what is a medical science liaison? What is a med info specialist? What is a drug safety specialist? What's a regulatory specialist? But yeah, it's still really hard even, you know, reading job descriptions, unless you kind of, you know, talk to people and network. And I, I still didn't maybe have the best network on the medical side. Um, you know, I, I met some folks, like I said, in, in um, getting my MBA, but they were, you know, they were on other avenues, maybe clinical development or marketing. Um, so, you know, there's maybe a little bit more clear on what those roles really were. So I can't say I was like looking for a drug safety position. I kind of took the first opportunity that was there and said, Hey, you know, talking to people, I guess, you know, they kept saying, you know, once you have some experience, you should start to get, you know, more interest and stuff like that. And I would say, you know, within, you know, within six months of doing that, um, you know, other opportunities started opening, opening up. An MBA, by the way, isn't for, for listeners, it's not the only additional education that, that Mike, pursued following pharmacy school. So you also have a master of science in regulatory affairs, which is a rather unique degree. Mm -hmm. So why, why did you pursue this degree versus a master's in public health or focus on epidemiology, whatever it may be? Yeah. So, um, as actually I took advantage of one of my company's, um, tuition reimbursement programs. So, um, they had, um, up kind of the uh, payment they would make in, in a year for tuition reimbursement. Um, I started doing some other activities too, from, um, my work perspective, I, I was doing medical information at the time, but then, um, I kind of got looped into helping to provide medical review as part of the promotional and non-promotional review committee meetings, working with, 
um, legal and regulatory and the commercial teams to review materials. So, you know, in that aspect, I really wanted to get a better sense of all the regulations and requirements. Um, once again, I, I, I felt that it was a great fit to kind of get a more holistic um, perspective of the industry to be able to leverage that knowledge into the different roles. I didn't say I didn't wasn't even looking to say, hey, I was going to move into regulatory affairs or we're looking to make that transition. But I wanted to be able to apply the regulatory knowledge to what I was doing in medical information and medical affairs. I mean, weirdly, one of the things that fellowship candidates are often told and often tell us is, you know, when you're interviewing, you have to pick you know, one functional area, right? You have to know what you mm -hmm. want, you know, yeah. at that point. I mean, yeah. In most cases, they've, they've never had really any exposure to the industry, mm -hmm. maybe on a rotation or something, but or not internship, yeah. Time. Mm -hmm. So what, what would your advice be to, to students and others who might be pursuing, you know, direct to industry paths and, yeah. and not being sure about which area to pursue? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's hard, right? I mean, you try to gain as much knowledge as you can. You try to do a rotation. You try to look for an internship. I, you know, you network as much as you can, learn from what... Um, the people that you can speak to and ask them about their role, their job, what's their day job, what drove them to do it, do they like what they do, that sort of thing. But I want to say you end up in one area and that's, you know, the sole place you're going to be. Um, I think it's trying to figure out, you know, where you want to get to and that may change over the course of time. But no matter what role you take, I would tell people that you really got to focus in on building the skill sets that you need to get you to where you want to be, right? So, you know, I have, you know, you get to a lot of folks that come in and, and some people know like, hey, I think I want to do this, but I'm not sure. But I, I look at, you know, medical information or drug safety or some other role as kind of my, um, you know, way to get there. And I think that's fine. Um, but until you know and actually do the job, it's really kind of hard to say if that's really the right match, both from what you're looking for um, from a career perspective, but also does you, does your own skill set match to what the actual role and function is? The other thing that um, most people will struggle with at some point in their career is this decision about whether to remain an individual contributor, or a functional expert, mm -hmm. versus pursue you know leadership opportunities, mm -hmm. organizational leadership yeah. opportunities. When and how did you, you know, come to the decision that you wanted to pursue, you know, a leadership track as opposed yeah, to a yeah. functional technical expertise track, which can both be very rewarding. You know, they're both very rewarding career paths. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think both always existed. So I don't think any either part of really went away. It's still being an individual contributor or having to do some of the functional aspects. Um, you know, for me, it was always about, you know, developing and learning and taking on new opportunities. So that's what kind of drove me, you know, going from um, quickly from an individual contributor to a people manager. But, you know, I kind of got thrown into it early as well. Like I said, you know, just even just working even in retail, going right from um, starting as a staff pharmacist, jumping into, you know, being a pharmacy manager and having to have direct reports even back then and, and really having no knowledge and coaching about it at that point in time was kind of a little bit of a shocker. So I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to at least um, hire, coach, mentor, direct reports now for about, 16 years out of my 20 years of being in healthcare in, 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 um, pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, I've had that kind of, um, for a long time and that, and that includes direct reports, you know, working with contractors, consultants, um, 
you know, as well as um, starting even rotations and having students on from that perspective or fellowships too. So, you know, moving kind of into the people management role, then obviously, you know, with that usually comes, you know, additional responsibilities of kind of taking more of a, a leadership role for the groups and organizations or, or being kind of team leads or um, for, for different groups and um, different projects as well. And, and I'm going to start off by apologizing because I'm going to bounce around a little here, but Sergio jumped in with a good question and I had something I wanted to build off of with your previous response. Um, something that always amazed me when I was heading to pharmacy school, I never knew what I wanted to do. I had a four-year degree. I worked for a year. I lived in downtown Buffalo and enjoyed myself while I worked. And then I realized that wasn't where I wanted to be. And then it was medical school, maybe then PhD I enrolled in and left and then started pharmacy. And I, I would meet these, my coat, my students who I was in school with, who knew exactly what they wanted to do at 17 years old, enrolled in a PharmD uh, out of high school. I think Sergio, that was your route right out of high school. And maybe you knew, maybe you just went, eh, it's a good job. I think that'll be this path. Uh, but this, this commitment to the journey is something I see in your in your, like, it's not your CV, it's your LinkedIn resume, essentially. But when did you, and how did you figure out when it was, when you found your passion for what you wanted to do? Because it seems like you found medical information and that was your, it was rocket fuel from there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the same thing, I think, even from a pharmacy school perspective, um, I wasn't positive either, you know, that that was a definitely career path. You know, I, I did, you know, kind of the two years prerequisites at one place and kind of was figuring it out and the same sort of thing. Like I, I was leaning, I definitely wanted something in the medical field, medical profession. And then, you know, I even had a you know chemistry teacher in high school that used to work part-time in a pharmacy. And it was like, Hey, you know, there's, there's so many opportunities here. Like if you're into science and chemistry, like you should pursue pharmacy. So, you know, I was leaning that route. I was always on the kind of the science math side of things. So even just choosing that was like, you know, a decision. And then from there, you know, like you said, trying to find the, the career path that kind of makes sense. I think moving from drug safety, I kind of moved into a medical publishing role after that. Um, I really enjoyed kind of the content creation and development pieces of that kind of working on different projects, different therapeutic areas, different disease state. Once again, kind of that, that constant learning um, from that perspective. And that's when I found that kind of medical information and some of the stuff within medical affairs kind of really led well to, um, working on a lot of different projects, um, a lot of different therapeutic areas, a lot of different, um, products, um, working on product launches, um, and being able to support multiple aspects. So even, like I said, you know, taking on additional responsibilities, not just within medical information, but support, supporting other aspects of medical communications and medical affairs kind of always kept me kind of motivated and interested. Um, you know, I, I can be honest, I, I didn't love drug safety when I did it. I think it was a, a good experience. It definitely taught me another aspect of the business, but you know, the stuff I was doing was mostly kind of data entry, kind of a little bit more routine and mundane doing coding of adverse events and stuff like that, which obviously is very important um, for the product. Um, and even, you know, from a, um, a safety perspective, um, as well as regulatory requirements for the post-marketing commitments and stuff like that. but. I really like the ability to kind of create content and information. And then, you know, you're basically creating data that's being used by, you know, healthcare professionals or payers or patients to, to make, um, you know, clinical and medical decisions. So, um, you know, it kind of really tied back to kind of the, the pharmacy roots that, you know, 
I went to pharmacy school for to begin with. Now, you alluded to um, having started and run fellowship programs, and you've, yeah. you've mentored a lot of fellows over the years, and you've been involved with interviewing them. Um, what, one of the questions that we get is, and I'm sure you've heard this too, you know, differences between, you know, pharma or biopharma proper mm -hmm. versus the um, uh, vendor client yeah. side um, of things. So what advice would you have to, to students and fellows who might be considering a path in, in the industry? You've gone back and forth. Yeah, correct. Um, and so, you know, what are the trade-offs that, that you might consider? Yeah, it really depends on what, what people are looking for too. But I, I, I think both really provide some really great experience for folks. Um, you know, there's, there's only so many fellowships out there. And I think, you know, fellowships are a great way to, um, you know, really learn what you're interested in doing. You know, even though if you do pick a specific um, focus area, um, often the nice part about a fellowship is, you do get exposed to a lot of different functions and most of the companies have it so that you can do, you know, some sort of rotation. So you may go in thinking you want to be in medical affairs and then you wind up in regulatory affairs. And I've had fellows that, you know, have done exactly that. They come in, they've been in MedInfo, but then they're like, Hey, I actually really like this. And an opportunity opens up when their fellowship finishes, finishes and they move that direction. So, you know, I think getting a fellowship is excellent. I think it really helps um, people kind of figure out what they want to do, but it isn't the only avenue. I mean, you know, there's definitely, um, you can look for those kind of contract jobs or consulting things where they exist. Um, even those are probably less um, often available these days, but definitely on the service provider or the vendor side, um, there are a lot of opportunities to get you know, the right experience and exposure. And even if your long-term goal is to, you know, be within an actual pharmaceutical company, um, you know, you can definitely leverage that experience. Once again, I think it's getting to the right place, um, building on the right skill sets to get you to the position that you're looking for, um, that going to the service provider or the vendor side of things is, is definitely an opportunity for folks to pursue. And some of them have more entry level positions where you can get in um, and get your foot in the door a little bit easier. And it is that time of year that fellows are, you know, approaching the completion of their fellowship program. Yeah. We would be remiss um, if not mentioning that Eversan is hiring. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, we're pretty uh, uh, constantly hiring and growing, um, mostly um, within our medical information group, um, also within medical affairs. So, um, you know, we're, we're constantly hiring drug information associates um, who work in our medical information contact center. But yeah, we actually have other roles and positions too that we're often recruiting for, um, both on a, a permanent basis. And then we also, you know, often hire a lot of um, consultants and contractors too, based on some more, um, you know, temporary work that we have with some of the clients that we're supporting. And I know we're using these terms pretty interchangeably, not interchangeably, but um, we're pretty familiar based on, because we all work in the industry with vendor versus client, but yeah. Can you help listeners understand and, and kind of paint a better picture for what a vendor like Eversana, you can yeah. use Eversana as yeah. an example, what exactly does Eversana do and what does a career at Eversana look sure. like? You said in, in retail, you went to pharmacy manager yeah. and that was it yeah. and you wanted to grow. So what, mm -hmm. does, what does Eversana do and then what does growth at Eversana look like? Yeah, yeah. So Eversana is a, a large organization. They're, they are a service provider for the pharmaceutical industry. So um, they actually do everything end to end that a pharmaceutical company can possibly need to commercialize a product. So obviously the, the pharma company side um, is obviously uh, very rooted in research and development, bringing products to market. But then it's the how do you get the product into the market? So we're 
um, Eversonic can come into that, they can deliver all aspects of bringing the product actually to the market. That includes things like third-party logistics and distribution, specialty pharmacy, um, patient services, um, which is helping patients actually get the medication or get the reimbursement for the medication, um, it, as well as we um, have field teams that can actually go out there and sell the medication. We can hire um, contract uh, medical science liaisons to support company. And then we provide full support of um, other sort of services that support the commercialization. So that's where our medical information contact center services come in, our medical affairs consulting services. We offer pharmacovigilance services and regulatory and quality um, um, support services as well. So, so most companies will not do everything by themselves or all in-house. Um, you know, most companies um, and all the departments within those companies will work with certain vendors to help deliver um, the solutions that they're looking to put in place. And that starts from clinical development all the way through to commercialization. So we're not on the clinical research side of things per se. We're more on the actual commercialization um, aspects of bringing a product to market. So um, we have clients that just will contract with us for one service or they'll, we have some clients that we um, have as what are known as kind of complete commercialization uh, deals where um, they're not going to build the entire infrastructure themselves to commercialize a product, and they'll use Eversana's entire infrastructure to bring that product to market. That's That must be an immense infrastructure, because um, I, I know the commercialization process from the medical side, at mm-hmm. least, and, yeah. it's, and it's significant. But the, the, other, the other part I just want to touch on is, what's it like to grow in a career at Eversana? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely a lot of opportunities, and, and I can speak to a little bit from, you know, even from our MI um contact center side. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks, we mostly hire pharmacists. So most of them are pharmacists. Um, a lot of folks ended up going into retail or hospital or clinical, um, and then decided they want to make a career change and, um, and get their foot in the door in industry and, and do something a little bit on the non-traditional path. Um, a lot of times they'll start as a, a drug information associate or a medical information specialist. Um, and then they'll kind of have the opportunities to move more into like project lead sort of roles um, where they might be interacting and managing kind of multiple um, pharmaceutical clients that we'd be contracted with and kind of being their center center point of contact uh, for them and, and managing kind of their uh, relationship with them as well as making sure we meet kind of their service levels and everything. Um, and then from there into kind of people management and people leadership positions. Um, and then even into more strategic um, roles and developing um, the solutions and services that we're, we're providing. So into kind of associate director, director levels, and, and then obviously all the way up to, um, you know, VP level positions um, within the organization. Um, and with each kind of move, it's, it's taking on kind of additional accountability and responsibility from, you know, um, the basic kind of handling to more kind of interacting with clients to more managing people. And then obviously more putting in kind of strategic direction into the business and, and having a little bit more of a, of, of a business sense of, of what we're doing as well. That sounds suspiciously familiar. It sounds a lot like, you know, career growth within the pharmaceutical industry, like within biopharma and pharmaceutical yeah. manufacturers. So I think, you know, perhaps there's a pitch there, you know, for folks who are, you know, considering, you know, opportunities for them other than retail and hospital pharmacy. Yeah. You know, I think there's a moral to that story. Yeah. And I think a lot of people come to us because um, they're looking for that same sort of growth path, right? They've done, they've worked in retail, they worked in the hospital, but then, you know, they're kind of like, well, now what's next? Like, what, what can I do? And, and most of the questions we get from those folks is, you know, what is that, um, 
um, kind of growth path um, within your organization. So, you know, we kind of put into a talent development framework to everything and kind of have that kind of in place so they kind of get an understanding of, you know, this is kind of what that career progression looks like here. Um, these are the different res roles, responsibilities, the different accountabilities you need to take on to move from one level um, kind of to the next. It must be really rewarding to be in a position where you can provide those opportunities to, to pharmacists, you know, these entry level positions, you know, yeah. given your career path, mm -hmm. it's got to feel really rewarding. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, um, you know, even in the past and, you know, you know, working directly within pharma companies, you know, there's been times where, you know, we had to go out and, you know, bring on, you know, some contractors and temp workers to, to help support some of the activities we have going on. And, you know, it wasn't uncommon that we would, you know, hire folks that we met even interviewing um, in the fellowship programs that we didn't end up hiring or they didn't end up in a fellowship, but keeping those connections and then um, actually bringing people on. And then they start came on as temps and contractors and then quickly they were converted into full-time employees. They really, you know, the people that really, you know, kind of hit the ground running, um, really jump into it. Um, and really just want to learn and develop, like those are the people that you try to keep around. So, you know, often those people, you know, ended up staying in that function even more than sometimes the, the fellows that kind of came into the role thinking, hey, I want to do this. And then they're like, nah, that's not really what I want to do. Obviously staying within the pharmaceutical industry, but, you know, taking different functions where some of the people who didn't get a fellowship come in and then they took a contract role and then they were like, this is actually what I want to do. And, and they end up sticking around and kind of growing it you know, within that function. Well, Mike, as true data-driven pharmacists that we are, yeah. we know that our content needs to stay within 30 minutes. That's the time we have learned that it's perfect. <laughs> and I just want to keep talking, but I, I just want to ask one more quick question. Sure. What would be, what would be one short piece of advice that you would give to someone who is trying to make that move, whether it's from retail to pharma, vendor to pharma, yeah. vendor to uh, pharma to vendor, whatever it may be, but trying to make a move in their career, what's that one piece of advice you would give them? Yeah, I think the one piece I would say is number one, you know, keep a good network, make good connections, um, don't burn any bridges. Um, you never know when something's gonna circle back around um, and when that opportunity is gonna come up. Um, you know. This uh, pharmacy uh, world is small. It's, uh, and then the pharmacists within industry is even smaller. So you end up getting in contact with many folks throughout your career um, that, um, you know, you work with in the past. And, and, you know, I see that, especially now being on the service provider side, you know, we're now we're working with, you know, hundreds of companies, um, so many names you reconnected from someone you met at some point in time or worked with or worked with someone you know. So, you know, I, I really think keeping those connections um, and using your network um, is, is very important, especially for when you're trying to consider making a move from, from one area to another. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for uh, coming onto our network. It's been a pleasure having you and listening to your, you know, anecdotes and, and the advice. I think it's really going to resonate with, uh, with our listeners. So um, with that, um, I'll say thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me again. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode. We appreciate you spending your time with us. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and give us a rating. You can also visit us on the IPHO website to provide feedback and learn how to get involved. Please do it because we need your help. Until next time, take care and stay safe.